Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our copy of God's Word together and open to the 31st chapter of Proverbs, the very last chapter of Proverbs. And we're going to read in a moment verses 10 through 31. And this will be our last Sunday morning in Proverbs, at least this summer. There are 800 Proverbs, remember, so there's plenty of material. We'll come back time and again as the years go by. Now, last Sunday we examined what Proverbs have to teach us about a very important choice in our life, that is our closest friends and advisors. Now the stated objective of the entire book of Proverbs says so right there in chapter one is to give prudence, that is to give wisdom to those who seek it. And as we saw last week, to be a wise person, we have to surround ourselves with wise people. It begins with parents helping their children choose their friends, even when they're first graders as we see today. But I've saved today's message for last because I think it relates to the most important decision we humans can make as far as determining the outcome of the rest of our lives. Now, Solomon has used a metaphor of a path or a road. A person's life is a course that he runs. And the end of a person's life is either going to bring him life and joy or pain and death. Jesus said the same thing in his Sermon on the Mount. And Solomon wants his sons to choose the path that ends in joy. And so uh, that has a lot to do with who we choose as friends and even more to do with who we choose as a spouse, a life's mate. The title of the message today is Wisdom in Marriage, Choosing a Spouse. Let's read Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household, portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised." Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, hearing of this, his word. Now, chapter 31 of Proverbs 
in verse 1 says, was given to a man by the name of King Lemuel. These were the words of his mother that he wrote down. And the first nine verses are some basic instructions which cover a lot of the ground we've already covered this summer. She tells him not to be guilty of sexual immorality or drunkenness. And then she says, you need to rule when you become king wisely. And you need to protect the innocent and defend the defenseless. But the rest of her chapter, which I think is very telling, 22 verses, are devoted to teaching her young son how to choose a wife. And that's what we're looking at today, how to choose a spouse from a Christian perspective. And though these words are written from the perspective of a man looking for a wife, it can easily be applied to a young woman looking for a husband. And so let's look at it again. It really is a poem, these 22 verses. And it corresponds to letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So I take it it was meant to be memorized. Lemuel was likely Solomon. That was probably a nickname his mother gave to him. And when he was a little boy, she had him memorize these 22 verses, these Proverbs, and I'm sure they came to his mind time and time again. Now, the first thing we see in these 22 verses is the value of a wise choice. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. And so she's asking a rhetorical question. She seems to be indicating that I know that in all the world, there aren't many of these kind of women. And that's true as we look at the landscape today. It's very difficult as a Christian man or a Christian woman to find a potential spouse, someone of roughly your age who's going hard after the Lord and who wants to serve him as you do. Yet, it can be done. The Bible says with God, all things are possible. And so she says, don't lower your standards in your haste to become married. Make sure that when you get married, you marry an excellent wife, a woman of noble birth, a virtuous person is, is what it means. In fact, as I say to the young men in our church who are frustrated about not being able to find an excellent wife, I say, well, there's only one thing in the world worse than wanting to be married and not being married, and that's being married and not wanting to be married. And the Bible says it's much better not to be married than to lower your standards and marry a person who doesn't meet these qualifications. And so let's look at some of these qualifications. First of all, you have to find them. That speaks of discernment. That speaks of care in choosing. And I would say that begins with where you're looking, men and women. You're not going to find an excellent person in some of the places that a lot of people look for today. In fact, if I could give you any personal advice, it would be this. Find your spouse at church. I found my wife in the single Sunday school class here at First Baptist Church of Keller when I was a seminary student 21 years ago. And uh, I'm so glad that I did because she has been uh, such an excellent wife and is to this day. In fact, I was looking at those verses as I was reading today, just now, at the end of every one of those verses, verses 10 through 22, I have written somewhere in the past my wife's initials right above them because those are the character traits I see in my wife. She's a hard worker. She's a generous person. She's full of grace and wisdom. And I can give you my personal testimony. If you will wait for a person like that, it is worth the wait. Now, it is important that you choose wise friends because they're going to be your influencers and your advisors. But this is the most important choice, young people, you'll make. I say it to my kids. They were here in the earlier service today. I say it to them so often, they mouth the words before I get it out of my mouth. And I say to them, kids, 
outside of following Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the most important decision you'll ever make is not where you go to college, not your career path, none of that. It's who you marry. And so make sure you get it right. Because this will be the closest and most influential person for the rest of your life. How close is a married couple? The scripture says the two shall become one flesh. I know that speaks of sexuality, but it speaks of emotional bonds as well. This will be the closest person, the most influential person in your life. We need to put some thought into it. We need to put a whole lot of prayer into it. Because, he says, the right choice is incredibly valuable. Her worth is far above rubies. Now, throughout these 31 chapters of Proverbs, there are certain things that Solomon declares to be more valuable than money, material possessions. Last Wednesday evening, we looked at the verse that says that a good name is more valuable than silver. Uh, wisdom, the scripture says, is more valuable than jewels. And in this case, it says an excellent woman, an excellent wife, is more valuable than rubies. Why is that? Well, first and foremost, because marriage is a good thing. It's God's idea, isn't it? Marriage is one of God's gracious gifts to humanity that uh, theologians put in the category of his common grace. Common in the sense that it's not reserved just for Christians. You get on a plane here at the DFW airport, you go to any country on planet Earth, I can almost guarantee you, you're going to find a culture that has some concept of marriage. That's because marriage was given by God to all humanity. Peter says in one of his epistles that it is the grace or the gift of life. It's one of the things that a benevolent God has given in his creation. It's universal in scope. And it's God's idea, and I'm here to say it's a good idea. Now, what are the purposes of marriage? Well, there are many. I think the Bible says there's about five in number. Number one is for companionship. Companionship. We saw last week as we talked about choosing friends that it's not good for man to be alone. So God created for Adam, his highest creation, a partner to do life with. That, that was Eve. But also for pleasure. This same Solomon who wrote most of the Proverbs wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and he also wrote another book called the Song of Solomon where he talks about the joys of romantic love in marriage. In fact, it's uh, so explicit that... Uh, the Jewish rabbis would not let young men read it until they were of a certain age. But God created marriage for our pleasure, but also for procreation. This is the means that God has chosen to reproduce the human race, generation after generation, so that we could be nurtured in a healthy environment with a mom and a dad who love one another and are committed to one another for life. But there's one more reason that God gave us marriage, and we don't find out about it until way over in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says something in the New Testament. I think every husband in about his second year of marriage has said about marriage, it is a great mystery. Now what Paul meant theologically about marriage being a great mystery, the Greek word is mysterion, it's something that was veiled or covered in the past, but now has been made clear in the present. And what has been made clear in the present since Christ's incarnation is that marriage really is a picture of Christ's love for his church. We find numerous metaphors and analogies in the New Testament. We hear the church referred to as the bride of Christ, those that Jesus died for. Uh, men, we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. 
In the book of Revelation, the scripture says that we're going to gather with men and women from every tribe and tongue and people group around the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is the culmination of human history, where God the Father gives to his Son permanently the church as, as, as his bride. And so every time we go to a wedding, a Christian wedding, it is a picture of that moment which is in history future. And every Christian marriage ought to say to a lost and dying world, here's what the love of Christ is like for his church. And before I go any farther, I want to say to single adults, and I know we have many single adults in our church. I used to be one. And I want to say to our single adults that you are not a second-class Christian in any way. Paul points out there are some advantages to being single as it relates to ministry and missions. But he also says that if you have a God-given desire to be married, that's a good thing. And you ought to pursue marriage. And not that the Apostle Paul needs my approval or my second, but as your pastor, I want to make it abundantly clear, marriage is a good thing. And I am all for it. And if there's anything I can do uh, to help any of you in your marriage, I'll, I'll attempt to do that. And I know I speak for all of our pastors when I say that. Well, let's get started on the text. What should a person look for in a potential marriage partner? I'm speaking here of the character of a wise choice. Well, look at verse 11. Speaking of this excellent wife, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he'll have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Number one, first and foremost, if you're looking for a marriage partner, look for someone who is trustworthy and is faithful. Someone you can trust in every area of your life, with your finances, with your sexual relationship, and in every other way, you're looking for someone who is trustworthy. I'm amazed that people will get married on a whim to someone they have not investigated their, their character much at all because they're smitten with physical attraction. That's a poor way to choose a marriage partner, and it's a way that uh, almost certainly will end in heartache. We recently called a associate pastor here with Scott Knox. Scott, I used you last Wednesday night. I'll use again if that's okay. Did you know that one of the things that we do before we call a pastor here, if we have a candidate we think the Lord's leading us to, we do a background check on him. And then we do a credit check on him. Well, when you are about to partner with someone in such a way as we do with Brother Scott, we, we, want to, we think we know you, Brother Scott, but we will make sure we know you. Well, if you're thinking about marrying someone, you need to make sure that they are trustworthy in all these ways that I've mentioned. You can do that by observing, but you need to talk to people that know them. See how they are in, in various situations of life. And then you find somebody who's trustworthy, make sure that they're diligent. Look what he says in verse 13. Speaking of this excellent wife, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like a merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is still night, gives food to her household. She considers a field and buys it. On and on he goes, speaking of the diligence, the hardworking nature of this woman. She's hardworking and she does it seemingly without complaint. She understands that this is part of her role as a mom and, and, and a wife. In fact, she's described in verse 15 as an early riser. She rises while it is still night. And then it goes on to say that uh, she, her candle does not go out at night. So she gets up early, goes to bed late, and she's productive throughout the day. And in that productivity, her aim is not her own ambition, 
She seeks to put others first. As soon as she gets up, what does she do? She provides for her household, verse 15b. Portions for her maidens. She puts others first. She's also, according to verse 16, fiscally and financially wise. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's an investor. Now, we spend more time in my office in pre-marriage counseling on this topic than in any other. Money. The reason being, in 25 years of being a pastor and talking to many other pastors all over the country, what I've discovered is the number one pitfall and obstacle to a healthy marriage in the Christian church is money. Either one spouse or the other is financially or fiscally um, not trained or uh, not spending the money appropriately or they're spending too much. Uh, and when both of them are in that category, you've got a real problem. And so you need someone who's fiscally, financially wise and I would say emotionally strong. Give her 17. She girds herself with strength and makes her arm strong. She's just not talking about physical fitness. I think there's talking about emotional strength, the ability to carry a load with dignity and grace. She knows what is required to meet her responsibility and faces it with confidence. Sometimes we men like to call women the weaker sex. Now, that may be true that the average man could lift more weight than the average woman, but I want to tell you a little secret. I was in the delivery room for all four of our children's births, and I'm not the strongest person in our household, I can tell you. It's my wife. So an emotionally strong person, but also someone who's noted for her generosity and kindness. Verse 20, she extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. Once she's met the needs of her children and her household, she's still busy looking out for the less fortunate in, in the community. She's just, just as concerned for others as she is for her own household. And as she goes about life, there's an air of confidence about her. Look at verse 18. She senses that her gain is good. She senses that her gain is good. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow. Now, that's not speaking of arrogance. She's not saying, look at me, I've got it all figured out. But her confidence is first and foremost in the Lord. She's got a husband that she trusts. She has skill. She's a hard worker. And she knows her value. She's emotionally strong and therefore confident. There's one more, really two more. Uh, look at verse 28, a description of this woman. She comes to the end of her life. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. So the attribute that I take from verses 28 and 29 about this spouse that a Christian would want to have is that they are sincere. Sincere. We're getting ready to have an ordination service here December the 5th. We have three young men that have been going through an ordination curriculum with me for over a year and a half. And two of the books that I require them to read one is The Reformed Pastor by Richard Baxter, which uh, is from hundreds of years ago, and one that's more modern by a guy named John Stott that some of you have read, an Englishman. And this book is called Between Two Worlds. And in it, he talks about what churches should look for in preaching and their pastor. And chapter 8 of Between Two Worlds is simply titled Sincerity and Earnestness. He says, every good pastor should be sincere. And he defines sincere this way. 
a sincere pastor believes what he preaches and lives what he believes outside of the pulpit. That is, he's the same person in public and private. There's a consistency and an integrity there. Well, certainly the woman that Lemuel's mother is describing that he should look for in a marriage partner is like that because the people that know her best, that are around her the most, at the end of her life, praise her. And it's not flattery. And it's not a front. It's the true recollection and assessment of this person's life. The people who know us best are the people that we ought to be most concerned about our reputation. They have observed her life. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Now, moms, you know that when you are disciplining your children, they don't always rise up and call you blessed, right? But later on, they will come back, if you're consistent in that, most often, and thank you for that. This is what's happening here. But then the person even knows her more than the children is her husband. And what does he do? He rises up and calls her blessed and says this, there are some women in the world who have some of these characteristics, but my wife is the cream de la cream. She is the top of the top. Now, all of us want that to be said of us uh, at the end of our lives. But there's one more characteristic of the person that you want to look for in a marriage partner. Sure, she's hardworking or he's hardworking, uncomplaining, a hard worker, early riser, uh, puts others first, physically wise, emotionally strong, generous, kind, confident, sincere. But I would add this word, pious, a lover of God and the things of God. That's the most important thing to look for, a Christian single person in a potential marriage partner. Look at verse 30. He says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in every area of life. And I would say including and especially choosing a marriage partner. Now, did you notice that the only thing that was said about beauty was that she minimized its importance? Now, I'm not so silly to think that physical attraction is not important in choosing a marriage partner. In fact, I'll tell you the truth. I told you I met my wife here in Sunday school. I came here as a seminary intern at 28 years old, and I wanted to be married. And so I had a strategy. When they told me where the single department was, I went down the room, I opened the door, and my strategy was to sit by the prettiest girl I could find. I didn't wait to see if she had all these character traits. And I sat down to the woman that I'm now married to. And I found out in getting to know her that her beauty and her charm, as wonderful as they were, were not nearly the best parts of her. And so that's why I married her. Charm is deceitful. When you're dating and courting or you want to be married, chances are you're going to put on the charm. That is going to put on your best shirt and your best cologne and you're going to be on your best behavior every time you're together with that potential mate. But here's the truth. We're not like that all the time, are we? That's why it says charm is deceitful because it's not always consistently that way. And he says beauty is vain. This same Solomon says beauty is vain. is the same Solomon who wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes about life. Life is vanity. All this vanity and vexation of spirit. He says it's like a vapor. It's like a morning fog or dew. It's here today and gone tomorrow. 
That's the thing about physical beauty. It may last a few years, but unless you die young, we're all going to get old, right? And so if you choose a spouse simply based on physical attraction, that's not enough. You need these other characteristics as well. They are much more important. So those are 10 characteristics of what to look for in a spouse. Now, thirdly, you may be asking, what's the big deal? That's what a lot of people in our culture are asking today. There's a whole generation that don't want to get married at all. All the research is showing this. They are totally cynical about marriage. Cohabitation is rampant without marriage. And there are a lot of people who see no point in getting married. So as a Christian, what are the rewards of doing it God's way? In other words, what are the rewards of a wise choice? Lemuel's mother said it's more valuable than rubies. In what way? Well, in several. Look at verse 23. He says... Her husband is known in the gates, and he sits among the elders of the land. There is great freedom in having this kind of marriage partner. That is, this man can go to work every day without anxiety about, is his wife being faithful to him? Is she spending us into poverty? Can I trust her with my children? Her husband can fulfill his role, and when we can turn around the other way, a husband that can be trusted... You can fulfill your role and your calling without anxiety because you trust inherently this other person because you've chosen wisely. Proverbs 12.4 says it this way, an excellent wife is a crown to her husband. But there's another proverb that says it's better to live in the corner of a rooftop alone than with a contentious wife. Remember what I said. Only thing worse than wanting to be buried and not being is being married not wanting to be. And so she doesn't want her son to get 20 years into the future and regret his choice of a spouse. An excellent wife is a crown to her husband. She's an asset to him. She does him good, verse 12 says, and not evil all the days of her life. There's freedom in the right choice. There's also counsel. Look at verse 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Her way, her words have weight and are spoken in the right way. Now, I said the first thing we talk about in pre-marriage counseling is money. The second thing we talk about in pre-marriage counseling is communication, how we speak to one another. In fact, the Apostle Paul spends almost an entire chapter, chapter 4 of Ephesians, in how any two Christians in a relationship are to speak to one another. Of course, that carries over into marriage. And it begins with honesty, Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, ridding yourself of falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. That's just speaking about two Christians in the same church. Now, I'm going to assume you understand, the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked, that we're to marry a Christian, right? And so we're saying in the marriage, now you have two Christians. If it's true that we owe certain things to one another just in the church at large, how much more so to our marriage partner because we're one flesh with them? We're to speak the truth to them. It's not just... What we say, it's how we say it. He says in verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Maybe you thought that I'm going to meet a person where we're so in love that we'll never have a disagreement. And look, you put two people together who grew up in separate households, many times in separate cultures, and you put them in the same place 24 hours a day, there's one thing I guarantee you, they're going to have a disagreement. But you can have a disagreement 
and it strengthen your marriage rather than tear it down. He says, be angry. It's not a sin to be angry. And yet, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Use that disagreement as an opportunity to learn from one another and grow closer. He says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. And don't forget, as it relates to all parts of the Christian life, and certainly to our marriages, that we have an enemy. The Bible says that Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to do that in our marriages. And it begins with our choice of marriage partners. He knows if he can get us to choose someone who we've lowered our standards for, who is not walking hard after the Lord, all the easier for him to have a foothold in that marriage. As it relates to your wife's counsel, which is one of the great benefits of a godly marriage is a counselor, a confidant. He says here of this woman that wisdom is on her lips. And I would say to you men, some of you who love to read Ephesians chapter 5, the verse that says, wives, submit to your husbands. You sort of view yourself as a king on the throne, a dictator. If you don't listen to your wife's counsel, let me say this, a man that does not take his wife's counsel is a great fool. There's several reasons for that. Number one, she knows you better than anyone. And the people that should be your greatest and, and most trusted counselor are the people that know you best. And no one knows you better than your wife. She knows you better than anyone. And if she's a godly woman, she loves you more than anyone. Now, you might listen to your buddies, but your buddies are going to go away at some point. They're going to find other friends. But your wife has promised before God, your husband has promised before God to never leave you till death parts you. She knows you better. She loves you more. And hear this, she knows things that you don't. Right, men? How many times have I been in a conversation with a person or a couple in my wife's presence and we'll get in the car to go home and I'll say, well, that, that went well. And she'll say, well, I don't know. Some, some's kind of off there. Some's not right there. And you know what? It's so frustrating. I find out later, she's absolutely right. There's something wrong there. She has an intuition and a sense. And your wife's likely like that, that too. Two are better than one. We, we call our understanding of male and female relationships in, in, in the marriage bond in our church, we, we're complementarian that we complement each other. We help one another in areas. And God has made us that way. Um, but if you won't listen to the other person's counsel, you're, you're being foolish. Now, there's much more, of course, we could say about marriage and we don't have time for today. We'll come back to it again. Let me just conclude by saying this. Men and women, if you have a spouse like the one I have described here in Proverbs 31, thank the Lord. It's a, nothing more valuable in life than, than a godly spouse. You say, well, look, Pastor, I've been married 50 or 60 years. This, this sermon's not for me. It is for you. Because if you've been married 50 or 60 years, there's a lot of people that look up to you. They're watching your marriage. Most of you have been married that long have children, and most of you who've lived 60 years or more have grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. And don't you want them to have that kind of marriage as well? Don't you want your family history to be an unbroken legacy of fidelity to the Lord and to one another. I, I know I do. 
And that's why I harp about it to my kids all the time. Let them roll their eyes. Mine do. If you love them, you'll tell them these things are true. There's not much that gets me worked up to discipline my children. For one, I've got really sweet children. But they're humans. And they have my genetics, so you know they're not perfect. I remember when I was a single man around here, I made a lot of bold pronouncements about what kind of father I was going to be. And I'd see a child misbehaving in church, and I'd elbow my buddy and say, not me. I won't let mine behave that way. You know what my four children know? I'm a big old teddy bear. They get away with murder with dad. Um, But there's one thing they know I will not tolerate. When it comes to disciplining our children, they know they are not allowed to disrespect mama in any way. In no way. And men, I would say, if you want your children to be those kinds of spouses, husbands and wives, you be that kind of spouse that is trustworthy and pious and hardworking and full of grace and generous. If you want that kind of spouse, you be that kind of person. Now let me speak to a single person. If you're looking for a spouse like that, I would say don't spend your time bemoaning the fact that they're hard to find. We all know that's true. Spend your time developing your own character so that another person who's looking for that kind of spouse will be attracted to you. And then both of you can have that kind of spouse. And then, of course, there's uh, the other matter, and that is prayer. It's good and right to pray for your future marriage partner if you're single and you want to be married. You might not know who their name is yet, but you can still pray for them. Lord, I pray for my future spouse wherever they are, that you'll protect them, guard their purity, watch over them, and prepare them for the day that we're married. And then pray for God in his timing and his sovereignty to bring that person into your life. Pray for your children if you're married and have children and their future spouses. I'd spend as much time on that as anything when it comes to your children. Pray that they would develop a kind of character that we see in Proverbs 31 and that they would be attracted to that kind of person as well. If you're married, and maybe you're disappointed in how your marriage is going, pray that you would be the spouse God wants you to be. Start there. It's easy to point out your spouse's faults and failings in this area. But do a a diagnostic check on yourself. Am I excelling in these areas? And then finally, once you've done all of that, then pray for your spouse to be the spouse that you need them to be. Because marriage is the grace of life, and it is the picture, and must be, of Christ's love for his church to a lost and dying world. Would you join me now in prayer? Just bow your heads. We have over 2,000 members in our church, which means there are hundreds of marriages, and every one of them is one that Satan would love to destroy. Would you join me in praying that he would not have a foothold in any of those marriages, that we would covenant together as a church family to help one another to grow into the kind of marriage partners that God wants us to be. If you're single here today and you desire to be married, that's a good thing. The Bible affirms that over and again. Would you pray for your future spouse? The Lord would uh, bring you together in, in His timing. Pray for yourself that He would point out areas of your life that you need to work on and prepare yourself for 
to be that kind of husband or wife that you want to be. If you're married, pray for your spouse. Pray for yourself. Pray that your marriage would indeed be an example to this church family and to the community of Christ's love for his church. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we've opened your word together today, it truly does lead us to wisdom. Wisdom is uh, the ability to make good and God-honoring choices. And one of the most important decisions of any person's life is who they marry. Father, I pray that you would grant wisdom to our young people who are considering marriage. First of all, Lord, I pray you'd help them to reject the narrative of the culture which says marriage is no good. We've seen today, you say it's good. It's your idea. And with everything that's your idea, Father, it's... uh, a blessing to us if we do it the right way. So, Father, I pray for every single person who desires to be married that they would commit today to doing it your way, to seeking that potential spouse based on the character traits we've studied from Proverbs 31, not on what the world says is important. And Father, I pray um, for a single people. I pray you would uh, help all of us to know that they are just as viable as a married person in the kingdom. And that you have chosen many cases in the Bible to use single people to advance your kingdom. So, Father, I pray we value single people more in this church. Father, I pray that we love one another enough to help each other keep the covenant commitments we've made first to you and then to your church and then to one another in the context of marriage so that a lost and dying world would see the truth of the gospel and be attracted to Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.